Let's look in Acts chapter number 2. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, if you are able and willing, I would invite you to stand with us and we'll reverence the reading of the Word of the Lord from Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse number 37. We'll read down through the end of the chapter tonight. Acts chapter 2 verse number 37, the Word of the Lord says, Now when they had heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were, cut, were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and in breaking of bread from house to house. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of a heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You can be seated tonight. Thank you graciously for standing with us while we read the word of the Lord. Simply want to preach for a few moments tonight on this subject or this concept, what the preaching of the word should do. What the preaching of the word of God should do. We see it here in the first gospel message. This is the scene of the first sermon delivered in the dispensation of the New Testament church. The Apostle Peter certainly stood up to preach, and we have a text of some of what he has to say. We have a transcript of at least some of what he said on that day. I get the feeling also that in the city of Jerusalem that others of the apostles and disciples were both assenting to the preaching and testifying or preaching the Word of God in agreement with Peter on that day. And the people were stirred in their hearts as they heard the gospel. And this preaching was not without purpose, nor was it without power. For men heard the preaching and took action to their souls. And that is what preaching is to do. It is to provoke us to act. It is to stir us to be obedient hearers and doers of the word that has been presented to us. We see in this passage what the preaching of the word will do. Now this is remarkable. Every preacher would know what I'm talking about here when I'm about to say this. Most of us would look back at our first message and we think today maybe when you preach a sermon you think after 30 years you preach a message, well I swung and missed today and I really didn't do well and to go home you know, kicking myself and thinking of ways that I could have done better at organizing my thoughts or presenting the message or what I should have said or should not have said or maybe how that I should have approached a thing but most of us look back at that first message that was preached. We struggled just to get through the thing and whatever and thought, wow, at least it wasn't, today wasn't that bad and uh, wasn't as far gone as that. 
And yet Peter preaches his first message and I don't know that there's anywhere left to go up. He preaches that first gospel message at Pentecost and 3,000 converts are the result of it. I don't know where you go from there. I mean, you might as well just say, all right, I've preached as good as I can preach. I don't know if I'll ever do that again and if I'll ever be able to present the gospel like that again. The Holy Ghost was on him that day and God brought the benefits of the message to the people. When the Word of God is presented to us, there is something it ought to accomplish in our lives. The preaching of the Word will do something. It is powerful. It is sent to accomplish something. And Jesus, or the Word of God, told us in Isaiah that he would, that his word would accomplish what the Lord had sent it to do in our lives. That is, he would not send forth his word void, but that it would do what he had intended for it to do. And in this message tonight, I just want to show you three real simple things, a couple of things about those things, about what the preaching of the word will do. First of all, tonight, the preaching of the word will disturb. It will disturb. It'll stir up. I've heard people say about the preacher, said, you know, he just stirs too many things up. That is part of what preaching is supposed Amen. to do. It is supposed to disturb. It is supposed to stir things up. And uh, verse number 37, the word of the Lord says, and when they had heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were disturbed by what they had heard. They were stirred up, provoked. When it says they were pricked in their heart, that means they were provoked in the inner man. There was something that had caused them to uh, begin to be provoked on the inside, to be stirred on the inside. And our preaching ought to stir men. It ought to disturb men. It is to, it is to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. Our preaching is to provoke men to action. Notice the reason for their disturbance. It's found in verses 15 through 36. And the reason is the preaching of the Scriptures. I mean, whenever Peter stands forth and begins to preach, some of them began to laugh at him and mock him and mock the others. And they said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter said that these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but a third hour of the day. In other words, even if we were the kind that would drink, we wouldn't drink this time of the day. It's too early in the morning. On top of that... The people who accused them of being drunk didn't think they were drunk either. For they said they're drunk on new wine. Hadn't had time to ferment. It's not fermented. It's impossible to get drunk on new wine. Just grape juice is all it is. They're making a mockery of these men who are worshiping the Lord. But the Bible says Peter begins to preach and said it is that which was given or spoken by the prophet Joel. And he said, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. You young men shall see vision. Your old men shall dream dreams. And he begins to tell how he'll send his spirit upon his handmaidens and his servants. Upon the young and the old and show signs and wonders in the heavens. And he begins to pre-sin about, uh, about the coming day of the Lord. He also begins to tell about the Lord Jesus, how he came and how they delivered him to be crucified. And how he was proven to be the Son of God. And so the preaching of the Scriptures is the reason for the disturbance. It was also the preaching of the Spirit. That in the last days I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. If you really want people in this modern day we're living in hit to get disturbed, it's not a lot different than what it was the day of Pentecost. If you start talking about the Holy Ghost, people get all disturbed. You start talking about the Spirit of God, they get all disturbed. 
This world can argue theology with you. They can argue philosophy with you. They can argue, my friend, religion with you, but they have no clue what to do with the Holy Ghost. They have no answer for it when the Spirit of God comes upon a man's life and causes him to live a holy life, separated, to love his brother, to be filled with the Spirit of God, to use the same lips that had cursed the Lord, to praise God, the same hands that had done all the wicked works of this world to glorify the Lord, the same feet that carried him off into the honky-tonks and at the discotheques and to take him instead to the church house and to live for God and they don't know what to do with that. The Holy Spirit comes on a man's life and causes him to be different and that this world has no answer for that whatsoever. And when he began preaching about the Scriptures and began preaching about the Spirit, it disturbed men. When they began preaching about the servants, he said the handmaids and the uh, and the servants and those that would uh, have the Spirit on them, they'll prophesy. I'll show uh, wonders and signs. And he said uh, the sun would be turned to dark. Oh, and it disturbed people. When you began preaching about how people live, their everyday life, it disturbs folks. And then he began preaching about the Savior. He said, you men of Israel, hear these words. Verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosened the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speak, speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always by my before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue also was glad. Moreover was my flesh in, my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath unto him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to see it on his throne. He seen this before he spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. David was not speaking of himself when he spoke of how that he would not leave his soul in hell nor suffer him to see corruption. But he spoke concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Peter made the resurrection real, when Peter made the living Christ real, when he preached Jesus raised from the dead, when he preached the Savior, it served as a reason for disturbance to many. A dead God bothers nobody. A dead Savior bothers nobody. A dead religion provokes no one's heart to be pricked or disturbed. But when you remind folks that Jesus is alive and well, that He's God, that He sits at the right hand of the Father, and that we'll answer to Him one day, it causes men's heart to faint inside of them. But I praise the Lord, men's heart fainting or not, that we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know 
that is living. Whatever men may say, I'm glad I know a little bit about a living Lord, a living Savior. And the reason for the disturbance in their hearts was the preaching of the Savior. He preached about the Scriptures, the Spirit, the servants, the Savior. And then he preached about the soul. He reminded them of how that they had to refuse Christ and how that they had to crucified Him with wicked hands. And then he said that you must know, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And you're going to answer to Him one of these days. He is Lord and Christ. And this was an indicator to them that they were subject to Him on the inside. And when He said this, they were pricked in their hearts. They were disturbed down on the inside. He, my friend, began to get them provoked to action. He dealt with their souls. What the preaching of the Word ought to do is disturb men who are not right with God in their hearts. The reason for disturbance is is because they're not right with God in their hearts. And we should not seek for men to be soothed in their sin, but to be stirred in their sin. Not to be comfortable in their place of callousness and, my friend, their place of unbelief, but to be stirred unto action and to be provoked unto seeking after God and to have their eyes open that they may realize that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shine. The reason for this disturbance was the preaching of the Word of God. Then we notice not only that the reason of the disturbance, but the response to this disturbance in verse 37. The Bible said that they looked around at Peter and the other apostles, and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Whenever they were disturbed in their heart, and the preaching of the Word of God had provoked them and preached their hearts, they were stirred to action. They began seeking a solution. They began seeking it from the people who knew the solution. Amen. There is little use to you or to me to look to the wrong people to find out the right answers. This whole world has looked to Hollywood and they don't know nothing. They don't know anything but wickedness and sin and ungodliness. This whole world has looked to Washington and they don't know anything. They've looked to politicians and they don't have a clue what they're doing. They don't have the answers. They have looked to the courts. And all that has happened is things get more misguided and mis understood and messed up all the time and they look to the United Nations and my soul what a mess and a cesspool that is and they look to Dr. Laura and Dr. Phil and all of the different doctor this and that and my friend it's a shame and then they look to the church and the church ought to know the answer they ought to be able to look to us and realize that there's somebody that knows the answer I'm not anybody you're not anybody but we know somebody who has the answer. The Lord Jesus is the answer. When sinners are messed up, when they are disturbed, when they are troubled, you and I ought to be the kind of people they can come to and say, I've got a problem. I'm provoked in my heart. I know I'm not right with God. What should I do? You ought to be the kind of person that somebody knows when they're in trouble with God, they can come to you and find out what to do when they don't know what to do. I've had people call me up on the phone and I don't mind them calling me but I've had people call me up especially parents call me up and say something like my son or my daughter is in trouble so I believe they're lost and they believe they're under conviction and they think they need to pray and we just wanted to call you and see if you'd help us pray now I'm glad to do that 
I'm thankful to do it, but the first thing that always rose through my mind is, did this person call me because they want the preacher to join with them to pray? Or did this mom or daddy call me because they don't know what to do when their child does not know the Lord? I'm telling you, the person, the person that I would have gone to as a little boy or girl growing up as a child in the household I grew up in, how my friend would have been my mom and daddy because if anybody knew what to do, I knew that they knew what to do. Amen. I want my children to know daddy don't know everything. But if you're not right with the Lord and if you need to pray, daddy knows what to do. He knows where the solution can be found. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friend, I want to be the kind of person that folks can come to and know what the proper action would be. This is the right response. When the Word of God provokes you, when the Word of God stirs you, don't push the Lord away. Don't try to silence the voice of God in your heart. And don't turn against the preacher and against the church and against God and against the Bible. The right response is to seek after the Lord while He may be found. To call upon Him while He is near. Oh, John the Baptist stood out there and preached to I preached old Herod about his sin. And instead of getting right with God, Herod and his uh, his uh, uh, concubine, for lack of a better term, uh, that was living with him committing adultery. And there uh, his uh, stepdaughter who was all messed up. Instead of them listening to the word of God and getting right with God, they sought to cut the throat of the man of God. And uh, my friend, that woman told Herod, I want the head of John the Baptist in a charger. I want it on a silver platter. And my friend, they could cut the throat of the preacher. They could silence the voice of the preacher. But they found out they could not shut up the sound of the gospel. Oh, when God the Holy Ghost deals with your heart, the right response is not to rebel against the gospel and rebel against the sound of the Spirit, but it is to seek after the Lord while He may be found and to call upon Him while He is near. The preaching of the word will disturb us. And I'm so thankful that it does. I'm so thankful that preaching has a way of causing us to be uncomfortable. I'm so thankful that God's word didn't soothe me in my sin and make me feel good all the way to hell. But rather God provoked me while I was headed in the wrong direction. And His sweet spirit pricked my heart threw up a wrong way sign and told me to turn around and make an about face to repent of my sins and put my faith in the Lord Jesus I want to say thank the Lord I love the Lord and I want to thank Him for saving my soul hallelujah He turned my life around and it started because of the message of the gospel that shook my world and caused me to be concerned about my soul and opened my eyes to my need of God and I'm so thankful for that thing that disturbs the souls of men I preach the gospel now for about 30 years and I've watched people as they get disturbed by the Holy Ghost and watch them wrestle and I can see them in their faces and you'd be surprised the contorted faces that I have seen over the years and some that I've watched as they would hold on to the pew and would not let go and would not come. I've had them shake their fist at me, scream out loud and stomp out of the church. I've had them turn their back on me completely and fold their arms and huff and refuse to receive Christ. So, 
oh, how sad, how sad. Oh, my friend, but I have watched as some have wrestled with it and wrestled with it and begin to fall apart and tremble and weep. And I've seen them as they start. I've seen them stand at the corner of the pew and put one foot sort out this way and drag it back in and the foot out and drag it back in and do that about four or five times and finally they drag that other foot out behind and take off down the aisle. I've watched them run down the aisles of this little church and others as well and find a place in the altar and look down as they begin to weep and call on the Lord and their little bodies be shaking and trembling and weeping aloud and calling on God and I'm so thankful the Lord disturbs the hearts of men that draw them unto Himself. The Lord does not send His Spirit to kill you but rather to provoke you unto faith, to provoke you unto getting right with the Lord, to provoke you unto getting things right with Him. I've seen Him as a pastor or the preacher would say, if you want me to pray for your soul, please lift your hand. I've seen Him look around to make sure nobody was looking and ease their hand up and to try to make sure nobody else sees Him. I've seen the look on their faces as they were concerned for their souls. Those things caused me to be encouraged. Maybe somebody would say that those things are discouraging or troubling, but they're only troubling for people who refuse Christ. If you receive the Lord, being fearful of God, knowing that God is a God to be reverenced and a God to be feared, and that there is a judgment day coming, is the beginning of your knowledge of Him. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. I'm so thankful that the Lord disturbs us. Oh, I remember when God saved my soul, how He brought about a disturbance in my life. How He turned my heart and my life upside down. How He wrecked my nerves. Amen. Oh, that's exactly right. Troubled me and I didn't even know what I was troubled about. Bothered and didn't even know why I was bothered. I searched for Him and knew not what I searched for. I longed for Him and knew not what I longed for. Oh, but then I met Jesus and I knew that I would search no more. He filled a longing in my soul. I'd stand there at night and look out the window and see that light shining up out of the airport in Mount Zion on the bottom side of the clouds. Think it was Jesus coming back and I was not ready. I'd be afraid, scared to death. Oh, but praise God for the blessed night when I realized what was bothering me. I understood where I stood with God and I threw myself on the mercy of the Lord Jesus and praise God I want to say I love the Lord and I want to thank Him for saving my soul. He put me in His family. He brought me in, put His arms around me. He drew me in through the door and I praise the Lord for the preaching the Word of God that disturbed me and made me uncomfortable in my sin. Made me want to get things right with God. Hallelujah. The preaching of the word will disturb. Secondly, tonight, the preaching of the word will direct. It's so important for the message of Peter to tell of Jesus. But when he told the hearers about Jesus, not just from a historical perspective, he had to direct them on what to do about it. Preaching about Jesus is not just acknowledging that there was a man named Jesus who lived, did wonderful things, great signs and wonders and who died on the cross and was buried in a grave. It's not 
It's not just preaching that he rose from the dead, but it is preaching to men about what you should do about this man called Jesus. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, I'll tell you what to do. Repent. Time to get things right with God. Turn from yourself. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your unbelief. Turn from your denial of Christ. Turn, make it about face. Time to repent and to run to Jesus. Oh, how this world it needs the preaching that directs me unto Christ. Preaching is not just a declaration of a historical or spiritual facts, but my friend, it is a declaration of spiritual direction. It is a what this is a world where nobody wants anybody to tell them what to do. But it's my business. Amen. It's my business. I am in the business of telling men what to do concerning their souls. That's not always the most pleasant business to be it's not necessarily the business I would have chosen but that is my business that's what the Lord's put me on planet earth to do is to tell men how to get help for their souls and it is in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to tell you one of my pet peeves is maybe the right word I can't think of the best word to use here one of the things that disturbs me in life is to hear people misuse the word preaching. Don't preach at me. Oh, I want to just take people and take their little hand and twist it off and put it in their back pocket. Don't preach at me. I'm going to sound preachy right now. What does that mean? You know what it really means, don't you? It means nag. And preaching in the Holy Ghost is not nagging. Nagging is awful. And people at Nag ought to quit it. Now I'm telling you what to do, ain't I? There you go. It's my business. Preaching is not nagging. You see, I'm not here today to tell you what you have to do. Nor am I going to harp on you until you do it. But I am going to declare unto you, thus saith the word of the Lord. And part of that, thus saith the word of the Lord, is not just that Jesus came, lived, died, was buried, rose again, went back to the Father, and will save sinners who call on him. But part of that is to tell you, this is the place, and now is the time to get it right with God. And then to tell you who have gotten it right with God, how the word of God tells us how we are supposed to live. Now, I'm not going to nag you into it. I'm just not going to do it. Maybe there's some preacher somewhere who is. But that ain't preaching. Nagging is not preaching. Nagging is something that people ought not to do it all. And we ought not to belittle the preaching of the Word of God by equating it with a person who's just going to nag, 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 nag at you until you're ready to twist their little head off. I mean, friend, there is a great, vast difference in preaching of the Word of God and nagging on other people because you don't like something. Amen. Amen. And when you nag, you don't sound preachy to me at all. You sound like you're nagging. Amen. I'm telling you, I love to hear the sound of preaching. I love to hear the sound of the Word of God. I love to hear the sound of the preacher. He could be preaching in a language that I don't even understand. If he's preaching the Word of God and I can pick up just a word here or there, I love to hear the sound of the preaching. The other night I was listening to a preacher preach with an interpreter and he was preaching wide open, but 
city. I mean, he was hammering down about going home and the Zacchaeus going home and Jesus going home with him. Today I shall be at your house. And that preacher's preaching in English and the preacher's preaching in Spanish behind him. And I don't know which one cranked my tractor better. I mean, the one that's preaching in English or the one preaching in Spanish. And when that preacher preaching in English would take his Bible and hold his Bible up this way, that preacher preaching in Spanish would grab his Bible and hold it up this way. And whenever he'd say hallelujah, that old Spanish preacher would say hallelujah. And to say the words pronounced the same ways in both languages. And whenever he'd say praise the Lord, the glory to God, that Spanish preacher would say glory, adios, glory, adios. And it'd get me all wired up and excited and keyed up just to hear the sound of preaching. And to my friend, some matter of fact, I think it wired that English preacher up. He got sort of started just a little bit and the Spanish preacher got excited before the English preacher did. Next thing you know, both of them was going wide open. And then the English preacher stopped and sung a song. And I thought, now this is going to throw a kink in the hose. And he looked at that Spanish preacher that was interpreting, called his name, and he says, you can't sing, can you? And he took off and sung the song in Spanish. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they all rejoiced in the Lord. But just the sound of preaching. I mean, friend, it is a pleasant thing to me. Because I know the message and what it brings. I know what it produces in the lives of men who will receive it. Praise God for the word of the Lord. Thank God for the preacher who told me about Jesus. For I'd be a beggar if not for His grace. The preaching of the word should direct us. It should direct us. Notice when Peter preached, there was clarity. Clarity in what he said. He directed them with clarity. Uh, verses 38 through 40, he did not mince words. He did not uh, uh, collaborate around the pole of vacillation. He didn't muddle about, my friend, uh, uh, with uh, some uh, mixed up or messed up message that gave very little uh, clarity as to what they were to do. But he looked at them and said unto them, Repent and be baptized, uh, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. I can see somebody standing in the back saying, now I don't need to repent. I haven't done nothing wrong. I'm all right. And Peter's saying, every one of you, every last one of you need to repent. Everybody here needs to repent. You're all sinners. Everybody's guilty. You're not okay as you are. He does not mince words. It is clear what he's saying. First repent. Turn from your ways of rejecting Christ. Turn from self to the Savior. Turn from unbelief to faith. Repent towards God and put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I repent. Secondly, obey. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you have your sins forgiven, you're a child of God and you are now to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Be filled. Receive the Holy Ghost. Yield completely to the Holy Ghost. Let Him have your entire being and then pass it on. For the promise is not only just for you, but it is for all of your family. It is according to verse 39 unto your children and to them that are afar off, even to as many as the Lord our God shall call. Pass it on. And then separate in verse number 40. He said it with many other words. He did testify and exhort. That's a way of saying that Peter kept on preaching. Amen. And telling them how to live their lives and what to do now that they've received Christ. And he told them, save yourselves from this untoward generation 
salvation. You cannot belong to the world and walk with the world and talk with the world and live like the world and continue in the way of God. Come out from among them and be as separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. What did God somebody get as concerned about being soul sick as what we are about getting viruses? Amen. Somebody get as concerned about going to hell as what folks are concerned about going to the hospital. May the Lord have mercy on us in this generation that is untoward and will not hear sound doctrine that has become more concerned about the here and now than what they are the hereafter. It's time to repent and turn again unto the Lord. Amen. That's what preaching is about. Preaching of the Word should direct us. He was clear in what he said, not only the clarity in what he was said, but notice the certainty in what he said. He didn't say, now it appears to me, and everybody else may have a different opinion. And I know everybody's different. You know, that's really saying something, isn't it? When somebody's got to say everybody's different. Duh. Who didn't know that? Now everybody's different and we all got different ideas. I mean, just and I'll say this just for Ginger's sake, that's stupid for preachers to say things like that. Everybody's different. We all know everybody's different. Everybody's always been different. But they say those things almost like it's an excuse for sin. That because everybody's different that it's okay for everybody just to sin in their own way. And it's not okay. Never has been okay, not going to be okay, and it's not going to start being okay. And Peter gets very clear in what he says, and he's very certain about what he says. He doesn't step forth and say, fellas, I've been thinking about this a long time, and I'm not sure I'm right, but Jesus just might be the Messiah. And it may be that you just need to trust in Him, and it's possible you might even need to join the church and become a Baptist. Nothing like that was said at all. He was certain. He was sure of the message of the gospel. Don't expect people to put faith in Jesus. That's your word if you don't have any. If you don't believe Jesus, don't expect anybody else to believe your testimony of Jesus. If you don't really believe in the Jesus of the Bible, don't expect anybody else to take your testimony and gladly embrace the Jesus of the Bible based on what you've told them if you don't believe it yourself. Hallelujah. And when he preached it, they gladly received his word and were baptized. And the same day they were added to them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly. They got sure. They were certain. They were all in. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. I mean, they got serious. Not only did they gladly receive the word, but they went all in. Their entire lives were directed by their newfound faith in Christ. It directed their social lives, their financial lives, their spiritual lives, their families' lives. And it still does. People that are saved, it does not just reserve the church house. It's not just reserved to... Sundays but people who are born again it shows up every day of their lives yes, sir. doesn't mean that every day you're perfect but it does mean every day you're a Christian Amen, yes, sir. I mean it changes the way you conduct business there was a person that I'm aware of I got to be careful the way I say things we might have 
the live stream. Um, but uh, there was a person that I was aware of not long ago who recently, in a fiduciary responsibility, lost their contract because of repeated violations of dishonesty with the company to whom he was contracted. Over and over and over with systematic patterns, he was dishonest with the company to whom he was contracted and had an ethical responsibility in a fiduciary matter which involves money. And uh, he, my friend, lost his contract after several successful years with them because of this dishonesty. And after they terminated his contract, he got the call of God to go to the mission field in, uh, in, uh, in Africa. And I'm going to tell you something. There's something bad wrong with that picture. Something bad wrong with that picture. I mean, friend, that's not how the Lord sends you to Africa by getting your contract terminated for being a liar and for being a cheat and for stealing. That's not what ought to provoke a person to go into full-time ministry and go, my friend, to Africa to be a missionary. It wounded his testimony. At the least, his testimony was wounded. At the most, his testimony was disingenuous and dishonest. Friend, we ought to be so certain in our following of Christ that it shows up on us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It ought to show up when we are at church, when we're not at church. It ought to show up whether you are horse trading, my friend, or if you're at the flea market, as well as when you're at the house of God. It ought to show up in the language you use and the language you do not use. It ought to show up in the things you do and in the things you not do. And the way you live and the way you do not live. It ought to show up on your life with certainty. They were all in. They continued steadfastly. Hallelujah. They were willing to become givers instantly. Instantly they became givers. They started praising God. Not had a class yet. Not had a class yet on how to praise the Lord, but they started doing it. You know, it's amazing. I've had people say, oh, it's because you're in the southeast. That's why the people worship that way, because you're in the southeast. Amazing to me how I go preach up north, and one of them Yankees gets saved. Next thing you know, he's acting just like we do. Amen. It's amazing to me. I go down to the Caribbean, preach down there in Honduras, and, and so forth in middle of, in, uh, in Latin America, and see people get saved. They act just like we do here when they get saved. Uh, I see them get born again. They just act the same way. Matter of fact, they get more carried away than we do we're more prideful and try to sort of be reserved and I hadn't figured out why yet my friend but I've seen them get floated off and carried away I've gone into prison houses them old boys in jail not have a clue about anything get born again I've seen them get excited in the Lord one old boy got excited one night he'd never been in church in his life he told me later said preacher I never have heard a gospel message until tonight never heard a sermon about Jesus heard folks talk about Jesus I didn't know anything about him until you preach tonight but he saved my soul and then when he got saved he come up out of the altar with his hands raised up everybody else shouting and carrying on he didn't know what to say he said hot dog he saved me hot dog he saved me oh my friend he didn't know what to say but he knew how to act and they just started praising the Lord there is some certainty involved in this thing I'm glad I can say that, the, uh, that I love the Lord and that He saved my soul. Amen. 
that disturbs people in our day. How do you know he saved your soul? Don't you, th don't you mean you think you're saved? You hope you're saved? Don't you mean you might go to heaven? Oh no. I want to say I love the Lord and I thank Him for saving my soul. The work is done. I praise God. It is well with my soul. Praise the Lord and I thank Him for saving my soul. The preaching of the word will disturb. The preaching of the word will direct. Number three, and I'm finishing with this. I've got to quit now. The preaching of the word will divide. Verse number 47, he says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You know what you don't find in that verse? Everybody got born again. I don't know how many people were in Jerusalem the day of the Passover. Don't know how many of them had come into town. I've read books and articles and dictionaries and they make estimates. But they don't know either, so I'm not going to share their estimates. But 3,000 was a small percentage of those who were there that day. By all reasonable estimates. 3,000 was not even a half, not even a third, not even a quarter, not even a tenth of the people who were in Jerusalem for the day of the Passover. The population of Jerusalem would have been more than ten times this number at that time frame. And here we are talking about a day when 3,000 people got saved and we're talking about a very, very small percentage of the people who had opportunity. What I'm saying to you is the preaching of the word will divide. It will separate the believer from the unbeliever. It will separate those who hear the word clearly from those who will refuse the word. Those who heard the word were clearly defined. We don't know how many were there, but all of them were not converted. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Everyone was a candidate, but not everyone became converted. I would to God everybody I'd ever preached to had gotten born again. I mean, it'd be no telling. There'd be no telling how many people would be in the pews if everybody preached to over the last 30 years had gotten born again. But I'm afraid most of the lost people that I've preached to over the years have turned away and rejected the gospel. Most of them have not even been born again, let alone all of them. In the church, those that I've preached to, most have not been saved. Most have refused the gospel. There are two crowds of people and there is a clear divide between them. There is the positive attitude of reception. They praise God. They rejoiced in their deliverance. And then there is the negative attitude of rejection. And look how real that is if you still have your Bibles open. In chapter number 4, the very next chapter after this has happened, by the end of chapter number 3, uh, by, by through chapter number 3, Paul or uh, Peter and John go to the temple of the hour of prayer. They're still in this, uh, in this time of the Passover, this feast, and, or this uh, Pentecost, rather, the feast that has taken place. And uh, they heal the lame man. He rejoices. Peter preaches at the porch of the temple. People get right with God. About 5,000 people get saved in the first week of the church and in chapter number 4 the Bible says and as they speak unto the, unto the people the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them being grieved being grieved being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead I want you to contrast chapter 4 and verse number 2 with chapter 2 and verse 47 praise 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And next thing you know, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Talk about worlds apart. One rejoicing, the other one is, one's mad, one's, one's sad. One's happy about it, the other one's torn up about it. One's rejoicing in it, one's rejecting it. And they're being grieved that they taught them about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And verse number 3, they acted on their grief. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. And the Bible says, How be it many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And while that some were rejecting Christ, some were refusing Christ. While some were fighting, the gospel some were putting faith in the gospel while some were gladly receiving the Lord others were actively rejecting or refusing the Lord and the same thing is happening in our world today it is no difference there is a clear definition there is a clear division and some men have gladly embraced the gospel and said give me Christ or else I die and then some men have clearly refused the gospel and said I will not receive him I will not accept him. I will not put faith in him. And my friend on the last day when the time comes that men stand before God there will be a separation. I clearly defined there will be sheep and goats. There will be those who have received and those who have refused and there will be no in between. There is no purgatories. There are no maybes. There are none that are going to flip on that day. No hanging chads. No undecided voters. Amen. And there's no need for focus groups. Amen. No third parties. It's either get in or you're going to be forever cast out. It's get right or get left. It is turn or burn, repent or perish. Verse number 18 in chapter 4, the Bible says, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. That crowd over there in chapter 2 got so excited that they wouldn't even go home when they received Jesus. But this crowd in chapter 4, as soon as what they listened to it, got so mad they threw the preachers in jail. And after they got done beating them, told them, don't you ever preach in the name of Jesus again. You think we give you a hard time this time, you wait till next time. We'll hear no more about Jesus. That's the clear definition. The gospel of Christ will either draw you near to Christ to receive him, or if you push him away, it will drive you further away from Christ to refuse him. Some of you here tonight, you've heard the gospel so many times that you could say everything that I need to preach while I'm preaching it. You know it before I say it. And you're in dangerous territory. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about the gospel. You've heard about the Bible so much that you know all of it. And you've never received any of it. And your heart is getting hardened every time God pricks your heart and you say no. You toughen up a little bit to the gospel. And there will come a time when your heart will be so gospel hardened against God that it will be nigh to impossible for the preacher or the Holy Ghost to penetrate through to your inner man and communicate with you the gospel that you need to be saved. Every time you refuse the Lord Jesus, the same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay and you get a little further away from the Lord. Tonight, if God's the Holy Ghost is speaking in your heart, receive Him gladly in your life. Tonight may very well be your last altar call. This may be your last time of invitation. This may be your last day. You may be wearing the set of clothes you're going to the graveyard in. 
the gas may already be in the hearse that will carry your carcass to the graveyard. Maybe my last sermon. Maybe your last message. Maybe your last chance. Receive Christ while you can. Jesus said in Luke 12 and 51, Suppose you that I am come to give peace on earth. Nay, I tell you, brother, division. He'll separate the congregation. Preaching of the word will divide. I'm finished preaching tonight. I'll give you what I needed to preach this evening. Come with a song. The preaching of the word is quite different than many in today's religious society expects. There's nothing wrong with the term itself, but what it really meant, what it's come to mean in high church theology. We have too many preachers who are offering the homily instead of preaching the message of the gospel. That's all a homily is, by the way. It's the sermon. We have too many today who are speakers and teachers and motivational talkers and not enough preachers of the gospel. We have too many that are involved in education and entertainment or edification and exhortation and not too many preachers of the gospel of Christ. We have far too many Joel Osteens and not enough John the Baptists. I don't wish anything bad on Joel Osteen's soul. I just have no confidence in his preaching, if you want to call it that. Oh, how we need somebody again to cry loud and spare not. And we need a people who will gladly receive the word of the Lord. Everybody's not as hard-headed as what I am, and I know that. But I'd be on my way to hell tonight had it not been for preachers who would skin my hide. Had they tried to sweet-talk me into the gospel, I'd been on my way to hell tonight. Had it not been for two-by-four preachers who would let me have it in a double dose, preach a gun barrel straight and without apology, had it not been for those men that said, told things and preached things that shook my very soul and called me to, caused me to stay up at night, worry about where eternity would be for me, look out the window and weep and cry myself to sleep, had it not been for that kind of preaching, I'd be on my way to hell or already in hell tonight. And I know everybody that don't take the same level of, of, of the declaration of the gospel to rattle them or shake them. But I'm telling you, I'm not the only hard-headed one in the world. Preach to a bunch of you. And we need it so badly, and yet in our day it's just disappearing, it's vanishing. Even in so called old time religion, old fashioned churches, preachers have become so smooth. I find myself, Brother John, listening to my preaching and saying, Well, I need to knock the rough edges off of that. I need to quit getting so loud and I need to quit preaching so hard. And, Oh my, I know allergies were eating me up that day. I can hear myself breathing on that recording. My soul, you got to figure out ways to manage this, you know. Do a little better presentation. See a piece of the Facebook video and think, my soul, I couldn't sweat anymore if I were hauling hay out of a field. So uncouth. And yet I realized that it was not the man in soft raiment that shook my soul and caused me to seek God. But it was old preacher men with the anointing of God on their lives who declared hell hot and heaven sweet and reminded me that Jesus saves. 
Oh man, they were not in the business of being popular or received. And the world laughed at them then just like they laugh now. They lampooned them, made fun of them, mocked them. Remember when the paper came out and made fun of my granddaddy because he didn't speak good English at the, uh, at the uh, county commissioner's meeting when he was opposing their liquor and their alcohol. And they mocked him and made fun of him in the newspaper. But I'm going to tell you, he stood strong and stood firm. And he never did quit preaching against it, my friend. And he never gave in to the devil and the world. Oh, God, give us some men with the backbone like a saw off that'll stand up and stare the devil and all of hell in the eye again and say, Thus saith the word of the Lord. And my children, my grandchildren, our church people, and this generation, their souls matter too much to get soft and compromise and give in and become like the world's crowd and to turn to psychology and to my friend to turn to psychiatry and gimmicks and games and things that trick men into following us like pine poppers. Give us men that are preached with fire and with the Holy Ghost and to be full of God again in this day. And give us people that weep for it and pray for it and yearn for it and hunger for it. And to my friend, while the world throws stones at the man of God, give us a few people that'll say, preach it again, preacher. Tell my children about Jesus. Tell my grandchildren about Jesus. Tell about a hell to shine in the heaven again. And a Bible to believe. Just tell it true. Tell it right. Tell it straight. Don't water it down. Tell me the truth and preaching in power. Oh, how we need people that will get behind the man of God and again pray for the Lord. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest. For the harvest indeed is plenteous and the laborers are few. This is what the Word of God ought to do. Everybody stand. I've preached to you what the Lord said on my heart. Preached a lot more than what I really intended to preach but not more than I needed to. Oh, I wonder, have you obeyed the Lord in the meeting tonight? She's going to sing a verse of a song. If you're not saved, I'd beg you to come. I'd beg you to get things right with God. All of you who are saved, Brother Danny said it right a while ago. If you can't see that this thing's winding up, if you can't see that we're coming closer and closer to the end, you're blind. Oh, it's time we get serious again about serving God. Get certain again about the Word of God. Get in behind the preacher man and pray God and anoint him and give him a, a backbone like molten steel. Oh, it's time we get back in the business of being real Christians again. Brother Freddie Waldrop said it right. Stop being nice folks and just start being Christians. Amen. She's going to sing for us if you need to pray. If the Holy Ghost is dealt with your hearts, you'll be obedient to the Lord tonight. May the Lord have mercy on us this evening. Beyond the portals of time, there's a beautiful land, a world of God's glory unfurled. And by the grace of God, I, I someday will call it my home.
much more than since brief glittering days. said, well, we can tell they're ignorant and unlearned. That's chapter 4 and verse 13. One thing's for certain. They've been with Jesus. Amen. 